0: If you're a Christian, you believe that our material world came from the spoken Word of God. Paul writes about Jesus in Colossians 1, For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. We know where all things came from, but where did God come from? On today's edition of Craving Answers, Craving God, let's consider the question Who made God? I'm Chuck Rathert with Aaron Miller. Aaron is the pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. So, Aaron, how does the scripture address the question Who made God?
1: The answer is uh, in Scripture, nobody made God. He is the creator of all things. and uh, that's what makes him God. Um, it, whatever th- there's a principle at work here, and the principle is is that whoever makes something has authority over that thing. And um, because nobody's made God, nobody has authority over him. and because he's made everything else, he has authority over everything else, and this is the different difference between him and false gods. So nobody's made God. I mean, d- God by definition is the maker. Every every so it, everything has a cause. Uh, everything came from something, and you can say, you know, the shirt that I'm wearing came from um, shirt factory. Oh, so w- where do they get the materials? They got uh, actually. I just stepped into this and I have no clue what I'm talking about. I don't even know what this shirt's made out of, but let's say it's wool. You know, it comes from a sheep. Well, who made the sheep? Well, the sheep's mom, who made the sheep's mom? You know, you can go back. Eventually you'll get to the place where there's no answer. Where did, where did everything come from? You can either say the sheep have always existed. You could say that, which nobody, nobody thinks that that's true. Or you're going to have to say, you know, just random or uh, either, either, Material has always existed, or there's a first cause out there somewhere. That first cause we call God. It's not necessarily ha- doesn't have to necessarily be the Christian God at this point in the conversation. But God, by definition, is the maker. And so nobody has made God.
0: So when I first thought about this question, I said to myself, well, I'm going to ask Aaron who made God, and he's going to say nobody made God, and then we're going to be done. It'll be the shortest uh, yeah. craving answer. Would you to can wrap, wrap God this up ever. now if you wanted to. And I thought everybody knows that. So I Googled the question, and it took me about three seconds to come across an article written by Wayne Jackson. We're not going to go into his credentials or anything, but in his, ar- his article, he uses this as his first sentence. A commonly asked question is this Who made God? Right. So apparently, this may be an obvious answer to you and to me but not necessarily to a whole bunch of other people. So what's going on here that for us, this is kind of a settled answer, but apparently it's a wide open question uh, in lots of other circles.
1: I don't think Christians think about this all the time because it's such an assumed point. You know, you start off uh, at the beginning of the Bible, the very first verse is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it doesn't explain doesn't even tell you at that point who God is, what he's been doing, where he came from, if he didn't exist, how he got started. The Bible just assumes the existence of God, which ultimately you have to do. If, um, you know, I can tell, like, if, if I sit down and write a letter, I can see myself writing the letter. I know where the letter came from. I was there. But if God exists and he pre-exists everything that he's created, there's no way to go back and... You know, explore where he came from. So, the, the the Bible just assumes the existence of God, and because of that reason, Christians assume the existence of God. But when you talk to people who aren't Christians, not all of them, but a lot of times, they'll say, in all genuineness, like, if God made everything, well, where did God come from? Who made God, or where did He come from? And so, I think it's a more common. This is a more common question for people who aren't Christian than for people who are Christian.
0: Do you ever have somebody ask you that? Direct question?
1: Yeah, within the past couple of weeks. I mean, this is one of the reasons why. Uh, here's a little bit about how the sausage is made. Uh, so Chuck asked me, "What should we talk about?" And I th- I said, "Well, let's talk about the question of where did God come from." And then, just so the listeners know, Chuck does all the work from there. But uh, uh, and I and a reason why I told you that I thought that would be an interesting topic is because I just had that conversation recently with a teenage girl who is going through. There's a, a class that that happens at my church where we explore um, theology and history, and the questions of God and the questions of Christianity. And in that class, this is a girl, she's um, fourteen or fifteen years old, said, "Well, who made God?" And, and you know, she's not trying to be funny, and she wasn't trying to be challenging; just asking a really good question. And I thought, well, I've heard that question before. Let's talk about it. So yeah, it's just within recent memory. So it strikes me that
0: it would be possible. I'll just use myself as an example to make the mistake. If somebody were to ask me that question and you've already proved that somebody can and may very well ask that question to come off unintentionally as condescending or arrogant, like it's like, what's two plus two? (laughs) Well, you know, right. Yeah. uh, Who made God? (laughs) Nobody made God. Yeah. But you can't do that. Right. You have to take off, uh, your presumed elevation and, yeah. and treat the question with respect.
1: Yeah. How do you do that? Well, that's one of the best things about having conversations like this is that there are so many things that everybody assumes. This is real, is actually the only way you can get out of bed in the morning and put your pants on and go to work. There's all sorts of philosophical assumptions that we make that you can't, you just don't have the time or the brain power to process Every second of the day, I said, you know, I, I, do you ever think when you're driving down the street, like I'm going, you know, going down the local state highway, I'm going 55 miles an hour. And there are people passing within three feet of me who are also going 55 miles an hour. Like every moment in this car is a dance with death and you just can't think about that. You just have to assume and live in the assumption that, well, they've been trained to stay in their lane. I've been trained to stay in. And, and, and a lot of things are like that in any sort of like life situation or philosophical system. There's always what we call them presuppositional beliefs, beliefs that underlie and are foundational that the rest of our kind of stated in the front of our brain beliefs are built on and For Christians, one of those is the assumption of the existence of God. But it's good to have a conversation like this where somebody says, well, who made God? And you've got to stop and be like, oh, dang it. That's a good question. Let me think about that for a second. I have been assuming the existence of God, but like, why do I think he's there? It's a really hard question.
0: Yeah, for sure. Which is why those of us who sit in fellowship with other Christians are happy not to ever have to answer it because we all... Believe the same thing. Yeah. But if somebody asks that question, you've already used the word assume or assumption, I don't know, two or three times. Yeah. And if you're going to make a case for something, you want to convince or persuade somebody about something, assumptions don't work. You right. can't say, well, this is true because I assume such and such. Yeah. That's that's not going to get it done. Yeah. So are you behind the eight ball, never to
1: get out from behind it? No, but I do think that you, a, a little a, a little humility is good to say. I, I want to learn. I want to know, and I kind of want to. I, I kind of want to be pushed back to these basic, foundational, presuppositional beliefs, and have to rethink them again. But you can always. There's always ways to talk about them. Even our most presuppositional beliefs, there are reasons for them and ways to articulate them. You, you don't always have to say. Well, I don't know. I guess it's just a blind leap of faith that God exists. There's always ways to talk about it and think about it, and that's what I kind of wanted to do today, and it's good for us who are Christians and for those who are non-Christians to think about these questions and kind of like basic reasons for why it, why is it that Christians believe? I mean, the short answer is the Bible says so, but why does the Bible say that God is uncreated, and what does that mean, and how is that possible
0: Do you have answers to those questions? Why does the Bible say that God is uncreated and what does that mean?
1: Well, I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Also, again, we can just stop this right now. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know if I have answers, but I think there are good, crisp ways to talk about these things that will help make sense of them, I think.
0: Okay. So I guess our proof is the Word of God. We really can't go into science, can we, to try to make this case? We, we, we don't dare go there, do we?
1: Well, a proof is always a real tricky word. It's real slippery.
0: That's what I'm looking for. I asked you a question, who made God? I need proof.
1: I, I Again, I'm going to circle back to a conversation we had several months ago. I can't even prove that my own mom loves me, although it's something that I know more than I know anything else in the world. So there's a lot of truths that just aren't provable. And we get in trouble in our culture because we want proof, and we think that you can't know something unless you can prove it. But if you stop and you look at the things that you think that you know, that know that you do know, let me say that, and you ask, well, how many of them can I prove? There's not very many of them. I I can prove that my wife is going to come home tonight and eat dinner with me. I, I can't prove that. She might actually be contemplating leaving me, but I know that's not true. I know it, but I can't prove it. I can't prove it, but I know it. And when we talk about relationships, which is always, whenever you talk about God, you're talking about relationships. Um, Whether you're a Christian and you believe that a relationship with God is possible, or you're uh, an agnostic or an atheist and you don't know or you believe that a relationship with God is not possible, you're talking about relationship. So the, the, you know, proof is tricky. And so you look to religion for proof, you're not going to get it. So you look to science for proof and people are, oh, science can give us proof. Science can't prove anything either. Um, This is well established by, this is not a religious conversation I'm about to have with you, or a comment I'm about to make. Uh, Everybody knows, every philosopher of science, scientist knows, even the most deeply agnostic or atheist philosopher of science will tell you, science can't prove stuff. It can't science knowledge changes rapidly. All that science can do is provide a framework for exploring the universe in a way that answers questions. But it can't actually prove things. Uh, And that's a a little bit of a harsh statement. I know 2 plus 2 equals Uh, 4. Can we prove that? Um, We're drifting far afield here now. Uh, I would say yes. That is is an example of provable knowledge. Uh, Some postmodern mathematicians would say no. Two plus two equals four. Even that's up for grabs. But anyway, so how can? What was your question? How can I prove this? Or let's let me ask you this question
0: before we go t- too much further here, because maybe we could talk about we could stay on this path for two days and never really get anywhere. Um, when we humans, when we ponder the the question, who made God? Right. We have to think about the reality of the temporary versus the eternal, the finite versus the infinite. Is it possible for the finite to successfully contemplate the infinite and work this out in our heads to our own satisfaction?
1: Contemplate, yes. In fact, every human should be contemplating the infinite, unless you're just completely content with you know getting up and again, putting your pants on, going to work earn enough money to buy gas so that you can go to work next day if that's the if, if that's the, the level of your existence fine but most humans you know whatever ideological position they have want to know is there something more out there so to contemplate the infinite is necessary to completely understand the infinite which is i think what you're asking is impossible because by definition it's infinite and i'm finite and There's only so much space between my two ears that I can fit things in. And I can guarantee you that this space is getting smaller all the time as I get older. The infinite won't squeeze into my head. It just won't. And so if there is an infinite out there, if there's something transcendent, if there is something that we can call God, the idea that somehow I can understand him completely is false. False else he wouldn't be God. If he can fit in my head, he's got to be smaller than my head. And that would make my head God. But it doesn't mean that I shouldn't be chasing it down and pursuing it and like the word used, contemplating it. Yeah. I'll tell you what I think, uh, and you can correct me or
0: whatever you need to do here. I think that every human being, every human being has a human spirit. And I can't prove that the Bible says that a human being has a human spirit. Uh, can we go into the uh, MRI and, and detect that human spirit? We cannot. But I think it's that human spirit that, in the context of the human being, material and immaterial, is driving that person to seek for the transcendent, to, to seek for the infinite. I think the, the drive for that comes from the human spirit. What do you think?
1: Uh, yeah, I think that uh, in different in different ways, I think that's true. One way that that's really true is uh, in relationship. I think that we crave relationship. That's more than just physical. You know, I, I don't just need somebody. To, I, it's not that I just. It's not just that I need somebody to physically provide food for me. It's not just that I need a woman to sleep with. I actually long for to connect with another human being. Well, where does that come from? It's never completely satisfied, uh, you know, but but where does that drive to know other, to to, to want to know somebody and to be known by somebody come from? I I think that that's, it doesn't prove the existence of God. It can get us so far. It's a pointer. It's an echo of that. There's gotta be something more than just me out there. And, And what I mean is not just another person, but like my wife, Angela, and I have a relationship. And in this relationship, we have this bond with each other that is bigger than the sum of the two of us. There's something about my relationship with Angela that's more powerful than just, oh, she's attractive and she's nice and she's good to me. If there's something bigger than the two of us that kind of like, are we made for more than this that's out there? I think that's one case where the human spirit, there's other ways too, like the, 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 the need for justice, the, 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 the desire that there be things put right. Where does that come from? If there's no, you know, if there's no God, then why is it that I'm so desperate for there to be righteousness? I should just be used to this. This is kind of the broken world we live in. But so I think you're right. I think that there's something about the human spirit that aches and craves for the transcendent. Yeah,
0: for the um, for the person who genuinely asks the question, "Who made God?" and is actually hoping to get a genuine answer. Right. Maybe puts that context then into their scientific realm right. and starts searching for an answer that way, um, that person may come to the conclusion that, well, you know what? There is no infinite. We know that people are not infinite. Yes. They, they come and they go. Yeah. We know that cities and towns and nations are not infinite. They come and go. We know that stars are not infinite. Stars are born and they have a long life right. and then they die. Yes. And even the scientists tell us that the universe had a beginning in the Big Bang and that uh, eventually the universe will contract back to its start. Yeah. Nothing is infinite. Yes. And then along comes the Christian who says, the Bible says that you are infinite. Your body will end, but your spirit will last eternally. And it will last in one place or another place, but it is never going to be finite. And even if we wanted to just walk away from this question, oh, never mind, it's too big for me, yeah. it's giving me a headache. If our spirit is eternal, then we have an intimate connection with the infinite. It's not just something to think about, you know, in our spare time. It's a, it's a, constant presence in our existence. Am I making any sense here?
1: Well, I think this is one of the big problems with a, a materialistic, you know, with philosophical materialism, the belief that there's nothing but the matter in the universe is that, you, you know, to, 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 to say, well, I'm going to examine scientifically the question of God or who made God and let's run some experiments here is really a category area category error. If God exists and, and he is infinite, we can't expect that our infinite minds and the infinite tools that our minds use to access data can comprehend him. It's, it, it just doesn't make any sense. If if God is God, then he's not going to fit into the universe like this. you know there's a famous story about Yuri Gagarin g- going up this is I've heard this story a gazillion times in sermons. Growing up, Yuri Gagarin, the first Russian cosmonaut in space, uh, you know, came back down and said, "I orbited the Earth how many times?" And he said, uh, "I didn't see God up there at all." Well, of course you didn't. Like, do you think that your human finite eyes can access that, or that even if they could, that your brain could process it? It's not. If he's infinite, he's not going to be accessible by scientific means. The proper response to to that would be for scientists to say okay there are some things out there that we can't understand instead of saying we can't access it therefore it doesn't exist and of course many scientists do say that they do say if there, you know there are things out there that we can't understand and so science can only go so far there are questions that science is not equipped to answer does god exist questions of ethics john lennox likes to say you know science science can tell us what arsenic does to a body but science can't tell us whether it's right or wrong to give arsenic to my grandma you know and those sorts of questions but philosophical materialism says whatever i can't understand or see or access doesn't exist and that's the wrong i mean just clearly that that's the wrong thing to do it's just so arrogant (laughs) like if it can't fit in my brain it must not exist well if it can't fit in your brain maybe it just doesn't fit in your brain and a good part of being a responsible human is to say, oh, maybe there's some things that are bigger than me out there. And all the echoes that we hear that, 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 you, were, that you mentioned, Chuck, about the, the things that our human spirit longs for and craves should point us to the reality that there is something bigger than us. And what that, what that is, and of course, I, I don't know if we've even touched on the question of, is God makeable? I guess we have. I guess we have. Uh, you know, the question of who made God is a question of like, where did he come from and how can I access him? But really, if nobody made God and we are the made ones, then it's not going to be possible. Like, I can make a hamburger and I understand the hamburger. The hamburger can never understand me. You know, it's, I mean, because if I'm strong enough to make it, it's not going to be, it's a one way street. I can go to it, but it can't come to me. And um, I think that's, I I, I don't know if that helps or. Well, I think it helps for the person who
0: agrees with us. Right, yeah. I'm not sure if it helps with the person who, let's say, does not necessarily disagree with us, but is still waiting for the proof. Uh, Yes. You know, it's like, I'm listening to you guys talk and you're talking and talking, I'm still waiting for the proof. Yeah. In Revelation 1, um, John, writing the Revelation, is told to put down this description of Jesus. He says, grace to you, speaking to those who is writing, to whom he's writing, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. So that's present, past, and future. Is that a proof text for the infinity of God,
1: well, again, uh, I don't like the word "proof" because it's a very slippery word, and there's not. We much. use proof text. We use that talking about the Bible all the
0: time. Yeah. Okay, I believe this. What do you mean, based on what? Well, here's my right proof text, and then we give them Romans something, and uh, you know, and that's supposed to settle the argument.
1: Yeah. Well, that does settle the argument if you're in a room full of people who agree that the Bible is God's word. Then there's a there's a common basis of belief. If you're talking to people who don't believe that, though, again, that's a presupposition that that almost all Christians agree with that the Bible is God's word. If you're talking to somebody who's not a Christian, you can't just say, "Well, the Bible says this," and so I mean, you can say that, and it's totally fine. But they're going to be like, "Well, how do you know that the how is that right?" Um, I so I this. This, so, I think the best thing to do is to, to uh, for people who are, who are like, for our listeners who aren't Christians, who have questions like this, the best thing to do is, I think this is the best tack we can take at this point, is to say, I can't prove to you that God is the uncreated creator, the first cause. What I can do, though, is to say, your own system of philosophy might not be right, and it might be the better part of valor to question it. And to contemplate other other possibilities, like is there a God who is eternal, who is the first cause, the uncreated Creator, and then to look at a verse like yours, which which I think is great, like this is this is one of the best verses, and I'm glad that you picked this one, Chuck, because um, you know, so you say uh, who was you know it describes God this verse you looked at in Revelation, who as the one who is and who was and who is to come. Well, I'm on the surface. It could describe a lot of us, you know, I am right now, I was in the past and I'll hopefully happen tomorrow too, if I don't die, you know, but actually what's behind that word, the key word here is who is, and in Greek, it's it's the same, so uh, i gonna have to tell a little bit of a story here to, to set this up, Moses, way back before Revelation was written, Moses Meets with God in the desert. He's not planning on it. God comes and meets with him in a burning bush and says, Moses, I've chosen you to go back to Egypt and to be the agent that convinces Pharaoh. I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it through you. You're going to be my agent to convince Pharaoh to let my people go to become, stop being slaves and to become a free nation. And at one point, um, you know, Moses says, Well, who should I tell him you are? You know, God doesn't work. They, there's tons of gods in the universe. You know, I can't just say, God, which God? Who are you? And he says, I'll tell you my name. My name is Yahweh, and which is the Hebrew for I am who I am. I am is actually is the word right behind who is here. I am. Now, so what does it mean I am who I am? Well, I'm not who I am. Uh, that's, there's a wrong way to, this is a stupid thing to say. I'm not, I, I can't just say I am who I am. I am who I'm not. I am not self-existent. I am who there's a ton of things you can fill in here. A combination of my mom and dad's DNA. I am an American Midwesterner. I have no control over that. I was born in St. Louis you know i've lived here for almost all of my life a little bit not but almost all of my life i've lived in the american midwest i have uh, i'm a male i'm a certain race i'm a certain socioeconomic status i have a certain set of friends that i have no i have no control over them being in my life i have a, i have kids who uh, th- that are now although they came from me biologically i've come to depend on them in many ways um there's certain types of music that I've listened to that have affected me. There are certain hobbies. There are certain places I've gone. All of these things have gone to shape and mold me and who I am, which means I, as a human being, am so dependent for who I am on all these outside factors. Well, it also means that 10 seconds from now, you're going to be somebody else. I'm going to be somebody different. This conversation is going to change me. In a way that I, I can't even anticipate. And it might not be something super dramatic, but everything, every time we experience anything in life, it, it factors into us. It becomes a part of the recipe that is us because we're so dependent upon you know, outside relationships, outside environment, uh, all, those, all those different factors. When God says, I am who I am, what he means is, I am self existent. It's one of the things, not everything. I am self existent, I depend on nothing. You are a combination of all these factors, God says to me. But I am who I am. That's it. Well, now what does that mean? Well, that means that like if if you look at me, think about like um, I don't know, think about like a table with a stack of like um, books on it, you know, and I'm the book on the top. And who am I? Well, I'm actually resting on this book beneath me, which is my environment, my biology, my friends, all the factors in my life, my my relationships, which aren't due to me. It's sort of symbiotic. Well, okay, so where did that come from? Where did the American Midwest come from? Well, there's going to be another book under that, you know, that you're going to have to talk about Native American history, and you're going to have to talk about geological history and and, and, uh, uh, all that sort of thing, natural history. Well, where did that come from? And you're going to keep on sliding down and down because we all know that everything that exists is dependent upon something else for its existence, whether it's creation or its continued existence, until you get to the thing that everything rests on, that nothing else can exist except for this thing. And the name of that thing is the I am who I am. It's Yahweh. It's the creator God. And look, I'm not asking anybody who's not a Christian at this point in the conversation, to believe we'll get this, we'll get here. If you and I become friends, we can have lots of these conversations and we'll get here eventually. What I'm asking people to, to, to understand right now though is that the question who made God can only be answered by no one, else he's not God. If something else created him, then that something else is the thing that he depends upon, which means that that something else is really God and he's a sub God or I mean, he's a created being. And so for God to really be God, the answer has to be just logically, philosophically, and again, I'm not asking anybody to believe in the Christian God at this point, we'll get there, is if God is going to exist, he is going to be uncreated.
0: So you you use the word philosophical. A man by the name of Rupam Pas. he's from India, he published an article in 2019. I don't know what his religious background is at all. I think he uh, is in the psychology realm. He wrote the article, Did the Universe Create God? Without going into a great detail, because we don't have enough time, about his philosophical assertions, he eventually says in his article, nobody created God. Sounds like he agrees with us. Then he says, God just got self-created when the energy in abundance got super-integrated into an infinitesimal power called God. What do you think of that answer?
1: Well, he's probably, it sounds to me like uh, he's trying to have his cake and eat it too, to say that nobody created God, but then to go on to say that God was self-created. I mean, so that that leads to the question of like, God created himself. It's I don't know if that makes voice. sense. God
0: got self-created.
1: Well, it's just bad language. It's just bad English. Anyway, God just got self-created I think it's not Is very
0: good thinking myself, but uh, right. I'm not sure I can defend that assertion.
1: Well, so so, I, again, I don't know anything about this guy. I just read this here when you know you gave me your notes here, and, and I, I read this quote here. Um, there's different ways of thinking about God in Eastern religions, in Hinduism specifically. And I don't know if this man's a Hindu or not, but if he's from India, he's definitely been influenced by Hinduism there's a couple things we mean by God. You can mean lowercase G gods and goddesses. There's a uh, Brahman and Vishnu and Shiva and Ganesh and lots of gods and goddesses like that. They're not, they are not self-dependent. They're not, they, you know, they have relationships. They, they're fickle. They get mad. They fall in love. They make bad decisions. Um, uh, Brahman, for instance, is asleep right now. Uh, he needs to be woken up at some point. Uh, uh, when she, when Shiva uh, um, uh, destroys the world, uh, we don't need to get into Hinduism, but you can think about gods that way. They're very, very dependent. You can also, there's a capital G God though called Brahman, which is uh, the universe. Think if you're familiar with the star Wars universe, it's the force. It's not personal. It's not a person. It's a force. It pervades everything. And, you can activate that so if you're a schlub like me you kind of walk around you know and you buy your snickers bar and you sit there and watch tv and you don't really have access to god brahman but if you're luke skywalker or darth vader and you're a jedi you can tap into the god force brahman and activate it by using it you know to lift your spaceship up out of the swamp or to you know to fight a lightsaber battle with your eyes closed or whatever and I, if what he means is, is that God can be activated by this sort, sort of thing, that, that you, you just get back to the problem of a God who needs us. If there's a God, and I'm going to look here, quote again, um, God just got self-created when the energy and abundance got super integrated into an infinitesimal power called God. Okay, so what did that? What, where was the energy coming from? Wherever that energy is, the energy that God depends upon for for this guy, for the energy that God depends upon to exist, that must be God. If God can't exist without that energy, then that must be God. So, who created that? But I mean, he can, like he can talk like this in circles. All, but it it just puts the question off of who created that. And if I created it, if somehow I activated it, then somehow God to exist or to act must be dependent upon me. And that makes me, which this is a very Hindu thing to believe, that makes me in some sense a part of God. But I just know that's, that, that I actually am so dependent upon others and other things that that can't be the case. I can't. I don't have access to the infinite in that way. It stands outside of myself. For God to be God, he must be uncreated. Nothing else, everything must depend upon him and he must depend upon nothing else. And that's not the God that's described here. This is a very confusing sort of God who's both uncreated and created. I, I don't know what that means. It's hard to talk about it when I don't know what he really means.
0: Well, and when I read this quote, I thought, you've just corkscrewed yourself into a corner, and uh, your argument is circular. It's it's doesn't even come close, in yeah. my estimation, just as a thinking person yeah. to answering the question. But it's like... Uh, Maybe that's the best that somebody who approaches this intellectually has.
1: Yeah. And and I think that probably I've heard people talk like this before and I don't from, I don't necessarily understand it, but I know where they're coming from. They know that we have this desire for like the infinite, for the transcendent to, to have power. Uh, You know, I don't just mean like power in a crude sense, but like the power to change our lives and the power to change our world. And so we need God but the problem is, is that if you believe in a God that you depend upon, then somehow you have to obey him. But if we can take a God with infinite power and somehow put a, him at our disposal where we can use him to do what we need him to do, that's the, that's the optimal for something like this. But it's not possible. Like if God is God, I must serve him. But, but, and if, if I can make him serve me, then I'm his God, which means he's not God, which means he doesn't have an infinite power. So like you say, it's just very circular and it ultimately gets us really nowhere.
0: So without going into too much detail here, when this teenager asked you the question, who made God, probably a question that you weren't anticipating, might've been maybe surprised by a little bit. Good question from a teenager. How did you answer it? And do you, felt, do you feel like your answer satisfied her?
1: Um, she nodded. What, was that? What does that mean? You tell me. I'm bad at body English. Well, it's... <laughs> it could just be, okay, it I'm doesn't talking mean, It
0: doesn't mean you were successful Right, yes, for sure,
1: for sure. Uh, and I didn't follow up. There was a me- it was a kind of a group discussion, you know. But what, what I said basically was just like, if God is God, if, if anything in the universe needs something else in order to exist, the thing that it's dependent upon must be more powerful than it. And so if God was made by anybody... Whoever that was that made God is the real God, right? I mean, this is actually, uh, this is one of the points of uh, Genesis chapter one, is who made the sun? Well, Genesis one says God made the sun, the creator God made the sun. Well, this is big news for the for the Israelites who first read this. Why? Well, they grew up in, in uh, Egypt, and the most powerful God in the universe, in their world, is Amon Ra, the sun God. And that's the most powerful God. And what Genesis 1 is saying is, is actually, Amon Ra, I made him. You know, he depends upon me. The son depends upon me for existence. That means that behind the gods that you've been worshiping, there's a more powerful God, the, un, the one who created them. And if, you can keep on going back. Well, who created the creator God? And, and eventually, you're going to have to say nothing did or nobody did, else he wouldn't be God. But if he is God, then he is the creator, the uncreated creator.
0: Well, I think we learned some things here today. I don't know if we uh, provided all the answers, but uh, (laughs) at the very least, uh, we informed our listeners that uh, Craving Answers, Craving God is pretty much like making sausage. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of Craving Answers, Craving God. We have more than 50 other discussions on a variety of topics. And we'd love to hear your comments, criticisms, and questions. You can email me personally at this address, Chuck Rathert at St. For Pastor Aaron Miller and our production manager Larry O'Leary, I'm Chuck Rathert.